there's no handbook for your child's health, but we do have a podcast featuring world-class clinical and research physicians covering everything from your child's allergies to zinc levels. This is Kids HealthCast with Wild Cornell Medicine, and our topic today is children and antibiotics. My guest is Dr. Paul Chung. He's the site medical director for Brooklyn Heights and an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Wild Cornell Medicine. Dr. Chung, what a great topic we're discussing today. So many parents run to their pediatrician and say, I need an antibiotic. When a child is coughing or sneezing, tell us a little bit about what's going on with antibiotic use today with pediatricians and children, and when are we watching and waiting, and when are we really recommending antibiotics? Hi, Melanie. Thank you for having me. And you're right. This is an issue that most pediatricians are dealing with on a daily basis, multiple, multiple times, and having these discussions with parents. The current trend in antibiotic use these days is that there's more and more overprescription and overuse of antibiotics. So in outpatient pediatrics, about one in five visits result in an antibiotic prescription, which means that there's about 50 million antibiotic prescriptions in these settings for children. And research has shown that about one-third or 30% of these are unnecessary and aren't going to have any impact on the course of the illness. So to answer your question, one thing we can clarify is what, in fact, is an antibiotic. An antibiotic is a medication that damages or kills bacteria. So if you're dealing with a bacterial illness, then it'll alter the course of the illness, um, help prevent complications, and potentially be life-saving. Antibiotics don't have any mechanism or effect on viruses, Um, So any type of viral illness, then it won't alter the course of the disease at all. So as parents, when do we want to use antibiotics? Talk about strep throat, ear infections, because that's a kind of a one where we're not sure, but parents may be scared to do the watch and wait thing. Tell us when it's advised and when it's not. And, you know, it's interesting that uh, you named two conditions that aren't the most common diagnoses that we see in the office, most upper respiratory infections, which is the most common complaint that antibiotics are prescribed for, most of these upper respiratory infections are going to be due to viruses and are going to be colds that don't need antibiotics. Now, you named two bacterial infections that are a little bit of a different story. And one thing that parents can do is they rely on their pediatrician to distinguish when they evaluate their child to do a thorough history, to do a thorough physical, and to stay up to date on the newest guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics because they put out updated they put out updated criteria on how to distinguish these more innocent viral illnesses versus more progressive and sometimes more serious bacterial illnesses. So you brought up strep throat. Now Streptococcus pyogenes is the bacteria that causes strep throat, and that's one because that is a bacteria. That is one infection that you are going to want to treat with the full 10-day course of oral antibiotics or one injection of penicillin. And it's not that strep throat is in itself going to cause so many problems in those few days when you contract the illness, because most cases of strep throat do get better on their own, although they cause discomfort. Uh, through different symptoms, but they, the immune system, 
can, over the course of time, have some reaction to the strep, and there is a risk of rheumatic fever or rheumatic heart disease, and that's not a common condition, but because of that risk, in the, condition, in the case of strep throat, the benefits of prescribing the antibiotic outweigh the risks. For an ear infection, there isn't this down-the-road long-term complication, autoimmune complication, years later. And so for ear infections, whether you treat with antibiotics depends on the age of the child. So like every time you offer an intervention in medicine, like certain medications, including antibiotics, it's always important to have that consideration and have the discussion with the family. These are the benefits of taking the antibiotic, and these are the risks, and we can talk through. And most of the time, if it's not black or white, which decision is ultimately the healthiest for your child, then we partner with the parents in having, the, having that discussion and so that we can decide together. So in general, if in the younger an infant is, the more chance that the ear infection will progress and not get better on its own. So we provide uh, the antibiotic. If the child is older, then uh, you, it's optional to see whether you take a wait-and-watch approach, whether the ear infection is going to resolve on its own, or whether you should give the antibiotic due to issues of comfort and to prevent the infection from progressing further. Well, you mentioned one thing about take that full 10-day course. Tell parents how important that is and any side effects that they should watch out for. Can their kid go in the sun if they're on antibiotics? And how important it is that they finish that pack and don't just take a few, say, oh, look, the symptoms are gone, and then stop. Well, with every medication, including antibiotics, there is going to be a list of potential adverse effects. And the antibiotic that pediatricians are routinely choosing are the ones with the safest side effect profile at the same time that's effective against the bacteria that you're trying to treat. And we as pediatricians are trained to give very specific recommendations for how long you should treat with antibiotics for the specific condition that you're talking about, whether it be sinusitis or an ear infection or a urinary tract infection or strep throat. And we'll try to find the right balance of treating long enough so that all the bacteria are eradicated but not over-treating so that you're not increasing the chance of adverse effects. There are certain conditions where there's a range of what could be the appropriate dose. For example, depending on the age of the child, the range of treating an ear infection is ranges from about 7 to 10 days. The range of treating a skin infection can range from anywhere from 3 to many more days. Strep throat is one of the ones that, again, the long-term complication that isn't common, but that can be very serious of rheumatic fever, uh, is serious enough that we say you need to finish the full 10-day course. So that's something that we always clarify is if we give you this course, 10-day course of amoxicillin for strep throat, your child will most likely feel much better and maybe have no symptoms after two or three days. Many antibiotics, it's not critical to finish the full course, but strep throat is one of the ones you have to finish the full 10 days. So we worry because we're hearing more and more about bacteria that are becoming resistant to antibiotics. And I think I told you that my son got one of them when he was at college in the gym, just his first two weeks in college. Tell us what is antibiotic resistant and why is this happening and what is meant by that term antibiotic stewardship? Sure. If we list the potential adverse effects of antibiotics, um, there are milder things like 
stomach upset and loose stool. There are potentially immediate dangerous things, although it's not common, but like a serious allergic reaction. And then antibiotic resistance falls into the category of something that happens if you extensively use antibiotics repeatedly over and over and over in a community over a period of time. And there's many different classes of antibiotics. And doctors are trained to choose the antibiotic that is the least broad or the most narrow that's going to be effective against the bacteria that you're trying to kill. The broader the antibiotic, the widest mechanism that it has, the more resistance can develop with repeated use over a period of time. So I've seen that develop in real life in many situations in the hospital over and over again over the past 15 years. For example, for a urinary tract infection, we've had the first-line treatment for the most common cause of urinary tract infection used to be a certain antibiotic called Bactrim or Septra, and we've had to adjust what the first-line treatment of for urinary tract infections multiple times over the past 15 to 20 years because those organisms or bacterias, they mutate the more that they're exposed to the virus and they become resistant to the mechanism that they used to be sensitive to. And unfortunately, now there's more and more cases of that bacteria has become so resistant, it's not sensitive to any oral antibiotic and a child, just because they've gotten that resistant organism infected by that, they have to automatically spend multiple days in the hospital because the only antibiotic that's effective against that infection is an IV antibiotic. Uh, You mentioned um, what happened with their child, so I anticipate it might be something along the lines of a skin infection, and that's something that people hear a lot about in the community where the most com- one of the most common causes of skin infection, Staph aureus, because of more and more exposure to antibiotic has become resistant, and there, now there's methicillin-resistant Staph aureus and MRSA. And in certain communities in New York, unfortunately, that's becoming more and more prevalent with the more and more prevalence of antibiotic use. And with these emergence of resi- resistant organisms, there's a higher chance for more invasive disease, and you're just having to use broader antibiotics. And then you end up on an uphill battle. The broader the antibiotic that you have to shift to, now the more resistant that organism is going to become. And the fear is that now, as we move into the future, the discovery of new antibiotics by the pharmaceutical companies isn't going to keep up with the rate of emergence of resistance. And so then you have organisms that aren't going to be treated by any antibiotic, which obviously puts us in a very dangerous situation. So that brings us to what can we do about it and the broad term for what we're trying to do to try to prevent or break the cycle is antibiotic stewardship. And in general, that means we as a medical community are charged with being responsible with how we use antibiotics. We should be stewards with the responsibility that's given to us. And that means when you see patients, be responsible about taking the time keep updated with guidelines, and do your best to distinguish which are innocent viral infections that you don't need antibiotics for and which of these conditions are, in fact, bacterial conditions that would warrant antibiotics. When you do, after you do distinguish that, pick the best agent that's not any more broader than you need to and to have discussions with families about the benefits and risks for antibiotics when you consider employing them. Wow. 
What a great description. You're an excellent educator, Dr. Chung. That was really very informative. Thank you so much for explaining that so very well. As we wrap up, what's the most important thing you'd like parents to know about antibiotics and questions to ask their pediatrician when their children have a UTI or strep throat or an ear infection or simply just a cold? Uh, I would say... I would encourage parents to have that discussion with your pediatricians about the benefits and risks anytime you're considering an intervention. And I will say the majority of parents these days that I encounter are have that attitude and are very open to that discussion. Um, you know, there's more and more emergence these days of direct-to-consumer telemedicine companies that that aren't integrated within your primary care medical home. And there are statistics, recent research that shows that there tend to be more inappropriate antibiotic prescription in those types of settings where follow-up isn't as readily to be able to be coordinated. So to be aware of that, and uh, again, look to your pediatrician to provide more education about this. Such great information, Dr. Chung. So important for parents to hear. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Paul Chung, and to our listeners. This concludes today's episode of Kids HealthCast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Wild Cornell Medicine podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole. Cancer and cancer treatment can be very hard on the body. Rehabilitation medicine can help cancer patients recover from swollen joints, surgery, and other painful side effects. Be sure to listen to Back to Health, our rehabilitation medicine podcast featuring conversations with leading specialists about rehab, the latest research, and innovations. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.